1: Welcome to every single one of you who is listening to this podcast. I'm Ray Harkins. Thank you for downloading this and putting it into your earbuds or headphones or car, whatever it is you're listening to. I appreciate it. I don't think people say thank you enough in this society. So I am I'm wanting to make sure that you are feeling that that thank that thankfulness for my end of things. We have a spectacular show today in the form of Ronan Kaufman. He is the vocalist for hardcore metal band Zombie Apocalypse. He also did a spectacular podcast called uh, Issue Oriented, which was um, one of the first (laughs) sort of, you know, punk adjacent podcasts. He had, uh, you know, a good few years where he was doing it. I can't remember the exact years, but uh, that's where him and I became introduced. And uh, you should find it in your favorite podcast player because I highly recommend the chats. Um, They are not, uh, you know, they're evergreen in nature. You can listen to them now and they will still be just as relevant. So do that. And Ronan is a, a great discussion because Zombie Apocalypse is a great band. They're more active now, playing some shows here and there. Just released a, uh, a new record. And uh, that, that was plenty enough reason for me to have Ronan on the show. So, more on that in a moment. I need you to email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Love to hear that feedback. You should also rate and review the show. Every podcast asks you to do that. I am no different. But uh, yeah, just take a few moments, dive into whatever platform you're listening to this show on, and then it just helps, helps out, okay? Just please do that. And um, I got to witness a really, really cool thing last night. <clears throat> I went to a screening of the Showcase Theater documentary, and for those of you that did not grow up in Southern California, Showcase Theater was a venue, a music venue <coughs> in Corona that was extremely important to the, uh, the punk and hardcore scene. Basically, from like mid 90s up until about 2008 when it shuttered its doors uh, due to the city being like, we don't want you here anymore. But it was a great documentary. It was like a two hour th- just look at the examination of why this venue is special. And it made me think where it was like, I can, I, I can believe that almost every single city probably has this in some capacity. Some venues obviously last for a lot longer. Some are just really hot blips where it's like, you know, six months, they do some great shows and then something happens. Um, I just, you know, I, I really wish that I had like millions of dollars and I would be able to like travel the country to document these special venues and special towns because I, I just think so many stories would come out of that. And uh, it's just, I don't know, it just it made me very not nostalgic, but it was just like, I was like wistful of all of these stories being contained and told in all of these venues across the country. Cause you know, this, even though showcase theater was inherently unique in so many different ways, there are probably very unique stories across the country. So anyways, but yeah, you can just, you can find, uh, they haven't officially released it as of yet. So I would, encourage you to google it if you want to find more information just get showcase theater documentary and you'll be able to find a trailer for it and stuff like that so i highly recommend you checking it out once it goes into circulation so like i said let's have ronan on okay he is a intelligent person we had a really really um deep dive conversation on a bunch of different areas that i, I didn't think we were going to go into but uh yeah we did and i'm thankful for it so here is ronan you obviously you came into my life via issue oriented and i think did if i remember correctly i think i emailed you and i was like dude i love what you're doing like and then we just became friends that way but I, i i could be misremembering that
2: i think that's right i mean it was a weird no one really was podcasts weren't really a thing You know, I remember that this was, like, a point where I felt like I had to explain what I was doing to everyone, and I remember, like, you were like, no, I know what this stuff is, and I also felt like we connected, like, hardcore-wise, you know, there was something, there was something there, like, you know, who knows what that kind of thing is. But, like, you know when you see a kid wearing a shirt of a band you like and you're like, that kid is going to be my friend, you know, when you're, like, 17? Yep. It was kind of like that. It was like, this kid likes positive hardcore and knows what a podcast <laughs> is. So I, I think you're correct that um, that maybe you reached out. But I don't know. You were just, like, a perfect – it was perfect, you know? Yeah. And, like, it makes, it makes so much sense that you're doing this now because it's like you – it was almost like what I was doing was like, not enough, you know, like I felt like you could have always been doing more and more and more. You were, you were awesome. Yep. <laughs> well, <But> yeah, <laughs> we met, we went, we met and fell in love because of podcasting. It's true.
1: It is. It is very true. And I, I just remember, cause I, I'm sure that you've had this feeling many, many times where, you know, you see someone doing something within the context of, you know, punk or hardcore independent trains of thought or whatever. And you're like, wow, I like what they're doing. I need to know them. And then once I, because that's obviously what I did for you. And then once I started to get to know you, I was like, oh yeah, like I knew you were obviously a punk and hardcore kid. Uh, But then as I started to peel the layers of uh, you uh, away and I was like, oh yes, he's in all these bands or whatever. But anyways, I digress. But the, the, the reason I bring that up is because I've always found you to be this really interesting mix of a person where you are, you know, kind, and intense and focused and I, I you know not all of those things can kind of play alongside of each other very easily but you i don't know you always kind of struck me as this this mix where it's like you know you didn't just have kind of one or two personality traits um and i know this, that's like an overarching or that's a very over gross oversimplification of you as a human but um i'm gonna guess like you know do you somewhat agree with my uh, i guess characterization of you <laughs>
2: Uh yeah that's a huge compliment I mean especially the kindness part. Um yes I think that that is a thing it's kind of a weird thing to talk about yourself in this way but I'll do it. Um I do think that there are contrasts in all people. Um and I think some people the contrasts are a little more stark and in me I think that they are pretty stark like I'm you know I look one way but I sound another I think when you talk to me as a like a, a person I think like I, I see this a lot as a teacher you know parents are very surprised at like how I sound based on what they see me as before they get to know me and um, I mean that that just sucks you know like it just show, it goes to show that like you know people draw conclusions based on all kinds of things that um, are unfortunate but Yes, I, I appreciate that. And I think it's an important point. I think that it's good to be many things at the same time. I I think it's like, it's both like how you are, but also what you do. I think like when you do things that are different from each other, they inform one another. And so like, I know in my core that all the things I do sort of spring from the same purpose, right? The same reasons or set of basic reasons like my teaching or my music or or whatever it is I do, but they're totally different actions and totally different environments. And, um, for me, it's like an exercise in like, how can you express the same basic idea, you know, in in a, a bunch of different ways, when it comes down to like how I am as a person, I must say that like, I'm trying recently to dial down the intensity. Um, that has not always served me very well. I think I sort of like used it in ways to fuel myself, but um, I'm, I'm leaning more into the kindness and the focus. I think these days sure. that you mentioned. Um, I, I, I and I and I am intense in terms of like you know I do have a lo- sort of like a strong. I do pour a strong amount of energy into things that I choose to do, um, but yes, I, I I would agree with that with that you know assessment. And I would say that like, everybody is like this. It's just that I've been fortunate enough to have people and opportunities that allow me to really excavate and dig deep on those different kind of like corners of who I am and try to bring the best parts of all those to the surface. And listen, it is not always a winner. I'll tell you that, man. Like when sure. you, when you just, you know, like you, you, I, I don't know. Like some people, to some people, this is like an alien conversation. They're like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Right. But to me, and I think to a lot of people, even if they don't talk about it because it's complicated and not something you bring up as like light social conversation, like a lot of people are on a sort of constant journey to like sort of refine and figure out who they are, you know? And that's why people experiment with different things or their views on things change or. They decide to approach things a different way than they used to, or they decide to try something new. This is all sort of like this really basic human effort to sort of like get closer to the root of what you feel like you really are, you know? And um, I just feel like that's a really challenging thing to do. And given the things that people need in their lives, it's not something everybody really gets to do in any sort of like consistent, like mindful way. And so like, when you do get to do it and you do start to like try to figure out who you are and, and get to these layers, like it, it doesn't always feel so great. Sure. You know, like you, you start to bring shit up. I don't know if I'm talking too, too abstractly. Like to me, all this stuff makes perfect sense, but I might be a little off the rails and you might have to chop that up. A little no, bit, no,
1: no, but- <laughs> no, no. Well, no. Cause I, I think the, the, the core expression that you're hitting, I mean, there's two threads I want to pull on there. One of them is the idea that, um, you know, the sort of the, the consistency, of the, the thought process where it's like, you know, because we, you know, were raised within the context of this, you know, this weirdo subculture and like very strong personalities, very strong beliefs, you know, politically, philosophically. And the fact that we get exposed to this, like, you know, of course, teenagers are, you know, very vitriolic by nature, but because we're kind of bathed in this, you know, uh, extreme thought process, we get to step into all of these identities um, and really, really believe it in ways that other people don't get to form those things. You know, sure. well, it's like whatever, whether it's like, you know, Hare Krishna, straight edge, ve- veganism, like whatever it is, it- it's extreme. And to your point, I think that, you know, people don't get to experiment with those things um, until like maybe, and not even extremes, but just like until they're older and like we, we did this when we were like, you know, fifteen years old. And like it, it it's like you said, that evolution I think happens maybe a little bit quicker in our lives because of what we experience. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. I would
2: I, I would agree with that. That's a really great point and insight that I, I think I lose track of, you know, frequently as I spend more time and interests that have nothing directly in line with hardcore. But, you know, it's true hardcore for me and I think for a lot of people serves as like an early platform for exploring right and whereas like other platforms set up really tight parameters like let's say instead of the hardcore scene you're raised in in like a really strong religious organization or you're raised in um you know a really uh Maybe your family is tied to like a service organization. You spend all your time doing that, or you're in a youth group, or something that isn't necessarily as, you know, open. Um, hardcore and punk, I think, are unique in that it's this like free form. It almost encourages people to like w- walk out as far out to the margin as possible and see what they can find. You know, that's sort of in a, in a lot of ways, I think, like the dare you know, like, what are you, how far are you willing to go? And I, you know, I'm sure like kids making bands in their basements when they're 15 and have no fucking, that's not what their mind is on, but really, I think that's what it is. And I think you're right. It's an earlier exposure to sort of the challenge of saying, look at yourself in the context of where and when you are and figure out what parts of the things that have comprised you up until this point are things that have just sort of been foisted upon you by time and circumstance, right? Like there's a point where the hardcore scene like makes you look at yourself and go like, Oh my God, like, what the fuck am I eating? What am I reading? What am I watching? Wait wait a minute. You know, like these people are not, this is not what I thought it was, you know, and you start to look for independent literature and you start to find, you know, the authors that aren't the ones that you see in the scholastic reader, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, for people who don't have that, I mean, I don't want to make assumptions. I don't know what the other platforms for youthful exploration and introspection offer, but I don't know that it, some people ever get that because I know grown-ups who just sort of like went to high school, went to college, got a job, started a family, and like nowhere along the way did they stop and be like, what am I about? Yeah. You know, like what am, what, what am I about? Totally. You know, like am I just... And it seems... It almost seems like you're... I mean, I, I don't want to like oversimplify and make it into some, you know, caricature of of all the things punk rock and hardcore warn you against, you know, in terms of like just going through the motions of life and not really thinking about your choices and how you interact with the world around you and all that stuff. But honestly, man, like I've met a lot of grownups who sort of fit the bill, <laughs> you know, like totally. they are blown away. They're blown away. I'm a 43 year old man, and I deal with a lot of people who have no contact with punk or hardcore, anything like that. And when I explain to them, like, yeah, I'm in this band and we play, you know, we play this music, and then they listen, they look at me like I am from another planet. And you are talking about good people with good intentions who just lack exposure. You yep. know, they just didn't have the, the chance. And I think that's what you're getting at is that it's like we're lucky because there was someone early on you know to say like hey asshole you know like check this out you better yep. wake wake up and check yeah check this out check yourself out like you like what are you doing you know and and i think one of the coolest parts about that is that it's not some uniform result it's not like punk and hardcore spit out the same people as the result like there's a there's a pretty broad diversity in what people believe the habits that they adopt, the, the aesthetic, the art, the sound, the the values. Like, it's not like people get into hardcore and come out all thinking the same. They don't.
1: Yep. You know? Totally. Totally. There's just a, a myriad of experiences lead people down this road. And especially, too, like you know, people that age within the context of punk and hardcore and are still attached to it, whether or not, you know, they're going to as many shows as they did when they're 16, there's still that affinity for it because it's a core part of your being. It's a, you know, like you said, all of the, the, the building blocks <laughs> that you apply to your teaching career, raising your family, like all of these things are core components that have come out of, you know, you yelling into a microphone and playing sweaty rooms, like as strange as that sounds, but obviously that, you know, it only sounds strange to people, who <laughs> you know, you're, your fellow uh, civilians that you interact with on a daily basis or whatever. Can we talk about shows for a moment? You go to a lot of shows, right? I do too. And there are times in which, you know, I would like something a little bit more, something a little bit special that is connected to the show. And soundrink.com is your solution for that. They put together some rad VIP experience slash packages that they work directly with the artists to be able to you know, get the thing that they know that their fans and people who are coming to their shows want. Like, I'll give you an example. So Thrice is out right now with Me Without You and Drug Church and Holy Fawn. Great tour. They offered this awesome, awesome commemorative poster only if you purchase tickets through SoundRink. So you purchase tickets through SoundRink, you go to the show, you get this amazing poster. They have other experiences up there where you can like, you know, have coffee with your favorite band. You can attend an exclusive QA/slash performance. They have so many cool things and they work directly, like I said, with the artist to make sure that this stuff is true to form. So visit soundrink.com, buy some tickets, go to some shows, and if you're a band, check out their service. I can't recommend them enough. Soundrink.com. Thanks for keeping shows alive, guys.
2: Right, but I mean, it fills a need that is filled in some different levels by other things like, you know, uh, other things that people find other than Punk and hardcore, whatever it is, their fraternity, their church, their whatever they get into, and is like their main thing, their CrossFit. Like, it, it's, you know, modern Western society – doesn't have structures in place to fulfill certain human needs. And so the other things crop up to fulfill those needs. And so of course, like if you were forming as an adolescent and like this community provided you like a grounding sort of a rudder and a filter and a lens and a community and all these things, like, of course you're going to come back to it. I think that's just sort of like the human sentimentality and, and, and the the comfort zone-ness of it, which to me is sort of like not the best, you know, like I, I'm always weary of why do we put like sentimental value on certain things instead of just like learning from them and then moving to the next thing. So in, in like a real head, heady kind of conversation, like I'm, I'm not really interested in like bringing it back, you know, or like, or like stuff like that. But I, but I do think that it's like people that came up in a certain time and and space will return to that because it's sort of like your school reunion. And also like, you know, you know these people at least see certain things about the world in a way that you don't have to explain yourself or feel like an alien around, because like I'm a grown up with, you know, I'm involved with, teachers and kids and like you know other te- you know administrators and then like I have all these people that I know in my yoga community and all this stuff and like I do have to explain you know certain things about my life to them still like oh well, wait so like you're in a band and you do what like yeah. <laughs> how does this you know so and and so I do have to explain that stuff and what I do occasionally when there is like someone who's like kind of punky in the mix I am sort of like hey what's up you know like you get it yeah um, totally you get it yeah right right like like you know like you give them a nod you know whatever um but at the same time that doesn't mean that everyone who was involved the punk scene back then is someone that i'm in contact with now and like i have to say there were plenty of things at least in in like when i was a kid or younger in the scene and, and doing stuff that like i'm glad i left behind you know and i'm glad people moved past like It's fine, you know, to do crazy shit when you're in your twenties and, and sort of have a a different attitude, but you're a parent now. I'm a parent now. I'm sure we see things differently. I'm sure that there are things and times and places that like, you think about like, oh my God, if my kid did this thing that I did, I'd be like, you know, freaking out. So
1: perspective changes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What, um, there, you know, you, uh, kind of putting the lens more squarely focused on, you know, you as an individual in regards to, you know, kind of your upbringing and everything like that. Um, I mean, from what I understand, and you know, you can obviously correct me if I'm wrong, the, uh, you know, kind of born, born and raised in the East coast, right? Yep. Yeah. And, yep. um, you know, you, uh, I forget you have, you have one sibling, right? Or am I crazy in that?
2: No, I'm an, I'm an only child.
1: Okay. That's why, Yeah, that's right. We bonded over that as well. <laughs> Cause we were like, Hey, only child, only children unite. Um, and so kind of because of that, yeah, I presume that you were left to much of your own devices as you were, you know, being raised and, uh, you know, finding kids in the neighborhood to play with and stuff like that. But, uh, did you find yourself living in your head quite often?
2: Um, I think I did to some extent
1: I had, I was fortunate
2: that like my best friend that I met when I was 10 and we were best friends through until we went, you know, we're still tight. Um, but he lived two doors down from me, so it was, and he was an only child, too, so it was kind of like a mix of both things, and to be honest with you, I spent a lot of time in my head by choice. Um, I was, you know, I don't know. I I just, I spent a lot of time in my head by choice. It was, um, like, most people growing up, you know, like, there's a silent war, the, the war of adolescence and like seeking identity. But like, I already sort of felt like a weirdo, like from the first moment I was in school when I was little, because, you know, I lived in a town where no one else's mom really had an accent of any kind. And I had a weird name and, you know, like, I sort of like, in a way like oozed immigrant child. And even though I was from here, like, it was clear that I was not from there for some reason. And so um, I always felt when I was in school that I was a little bit different than everybody else in school. And I don't know how much of that was in my head or how much of it was real. Um, but yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time on my own, but I, I had friends, you know, I hung
1: out. Yeah. right. I had you, a small you, group of friends, you know. Right. You weren't, you, yeah, you weren't a, a recluse, but it's uh yeah, the only reason I ask that is just because like you, most people have a characterization of uh, only children being this, you know, a, a recluse and, you know, not not being able to socially interact with people. And it's like, well, no, but at the same time, like you are completely comfortable just hanging out by yourself and entertaining, you know, yourself via whatever it is, whether it's, you know, reading books for hours and, you know, playing with your action figures or whatever.
2: Right. I mean, that's, that's definitely true. And even as a grown-up, I do sort of Need time to myself I'm very used to having like the space and time to like be alone in a room. I think given my the work that I do, where I'm like around a lot of people all the time and the place where I live where I'm around a lot of all, people all the time um i i there's a real value for me in like getting into a room by myself, shutting the door, and being alone. I think it's really important, and I gotta say um as a general practice, not just because of being an only child, but I think that's a really important skill that people need to have is feeling comfortable being alone. Some people don't feel comfortable being alone. They surround themselves with people all the time uh, for fear of being alone. And, you know, that there's like when no one else is around, that's when you really have to like be there with your thoughts a little bit.
1: And so I think people avoid it because they don't want to be alone with their thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's yeah the 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 silence is deafening, as they say. Um, yeah. And so you know, who was your kind of uh, I guess gatekeeper or you know introducer in regards to you know kind of more independent minded music, you know, punk hardcore that sort of stuff.
2: Oh man, I
1: get to shout out the coolest guy right now. Hell I'm
2: yeah. so excited because we re- we reconnected like two years ago, and like it it really gelled for me. So. Um, when I was in high school, there was this kid that I was friends with. He was two years older than me. I think two years. His yeah. name was Marty Rogers and Marty Rogers. Now, um, before I forget, he's on Instagram. He does amazing. It's it's crazy how our interests have been intersected. He's an amazing custom bootleg toy artist. And he can be found on Instagram at fan base at F E O N D underscore base. Um, but Marty was like this guy who, when I was like a freshman in high school, so like I was, you know, I was always like into like weird stuff. I was into like Mr. Bungle and I was into Metallica and I was into like gangster rap and I was in middle school. But I was also like into like, you know, Tool and Pantera and like some, some, some mall metal. And I was just always digging and digging and digging like deeper into counterculture. But Marty was the first guy who was like, you gotta listen to Fugazi. And I was like, okay, whatever Marty Rogers says, I'm going to check out because he's the coolest guy ever. He was an artist. He was just like an interesting guy. I really looked up to him a lot. I think a lot of people did. He was so confident in being like a punk. And that was really something that like I always sort of felt like I had to hide the fact that I felt different. And Marty fucking really inspired me to, to own it in a different way um so i would give him the credit and it's so awesome that he and i are in touch right now and that like when this comes out i get to plug him and i get to like send him a message and be like dude i shouted you out because i owe him an enormous debt um he was in this band the band was called hub rubber h-u-b-r-u-b-b-e-r i love that and yeah i mean it was like they were they kind of had like a a groove kind of 90s Fugazi statue almost kind of vibe. Um, and like, it, it wasn't like, we grew up in the suburbs of Philly. Like it was one of those punk scenes that was like, you know, three, the third cousin of the Philly punk scene. Like kids just trying to figure it out on their own. There was no internet. There was, you know, nowhere really to buy records except like one independent record store that wasn't necessarily super punk um but they had stuff but so we were sort of like a little bit in the sticks but they like they showed you i mean i was like you could be in a band they're in a band you know like i watched them play and i was like holy fuck like i know all these kids and they weren't all kids that i like thought they were awesome but i thought marty was awesome (laughs) you know i was like that dude he's so inspiring he's so you know free and uh, he so Marty Rogers had an enormous impact on me. I'll bet you a million dollars. He's shocked to hear every word of this. I cannot wait to hear him. <laughs> blah, to he's probably going to be like, what the fuck? But um, what a great creative person. And I think I was also like, the thing that inspired me the most was that he showed me DIY. I think he was, the, he did a fanzine. He was making photocopies of his art. He was coming up with stuff, and I got him. I started a fanzine like soon after I got into punk through Marty. I was like all in, and I started a fanzine when I was like a junior in high school or a sophomore in high school. I think started annuals in my junior year, end of my junior year, and I got him to write a column for me, you know, anonymously. We he and I were working on a, a um, an underground school newspaper that we were going to release, and we sort of I think we got caught and we had to
1: stop. Oh, um that's amazing yeah like
2: we released it i think we put out like two
1: issues and we got caught Oh, um, so were you like were you like blown but, up blown up teacher spots and stuff like that or what were you <laughs> what i were don't you doing? i i you know what i swear somewhere i have
2: one an issue it was called propaganda and i i'm pretty sure that we i might have one somewhere and if i can find it before you go to print on this interview i'll send it to you and you can like Maybe I'll put it up somewhere and people can look at it. Yeah, that's amazing. The point was that, that like, he showed me the power of a glue stick and a copy machine. And I had always, even before I was into punk rock, like, when I was really into comic books and stuff, I wanted to have, like, a. uh, when I was, like, 12 or 11, I wanted to have a comic book club. You know, like a kid would come up with, I want to have a club. And I remember I was really driven like the centerpiece of the club was the newsletter. Like I was always driven to publish. That was for, for some reason, like I really wanted, I was always into writing. I was always it came easily, easily to me. I loved printed material and I always wanted to publish. So even before I did my first fanzine, which was really the result of Marty sort of like showing me how it could be done. Um, I was already inclined towards that stuff. So all of a sudden, here was a whole platform where like, hey, you want to speak your mind and publish it? This is where you can do it, right? Um, And so that's the very long answer, very long answer to your question.
1: No, that's great. Well, I I appreciate you laying it out like that because I think it's, um, you know, some people uh, lay it out where they're, you know, they get their best friend, is a skateboarder or whatever. And, you know, but I, I like the attachment of the DIY principles, like you were talking about just being able to, you know, start to create stuff, whatever that may mean, whether it's, you know, taking photos or obviously in your case, you know, zines and underground newspapers and stuff. Cause I think, that's, uh, you know, a, a common thread that I see in a lot of people's stories when it comes to being attached to, you know, punk and hardcore and independent music is the feeling of agency, you know, where you start to feel like you can make not only a change in the world, but like a change in your own life because you are doing these things and you're not asking permission. And that's, you know, so, like you feel like you unlock a secret room in your brain for that, you know?
2: I, I agree with that. And I think that and I think I'm guilty of this. I think there's a lot of people holding themselves back from things they want to do when there are much less qualified people out there already doing it. And that is sort of like the voice in someone's head that says, Oh, I don't know if I can, or I don't know if I'm ready or, you know, I don't know if I'm good enough. And it's like, you're never going to find out if you're good enough unless you lift like to start and try, you know, there's no, you're never going to fail at it, and you're certainly never going to succeed at it if you don't do it. <laughs> you know, you have to do totally. the things that, that you dream about.
0: In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts
1: your your wardrobe probably consists of like what 70% band merch and if you have not visited rockabilia.com you are missing out on so many amazing items use this code pc100 words and that will get you 15% off your order dive into there they have half a million items they have something from one of your favorite bands i can guarantee you that they have a lot of stuff obviously for the winter months right now you know you get your beanies your hoodies your scarves They've got so much stuff there that I, frankly, there are times where I just get overwhelmed. I'm like, you know, I I need to come back to this. And then I do find some rad shirts, order from them, quick shipping because they're from the middle of the country. So it gets to anywhere very fast, amazing customer service. And this is the kicker, officially licensed stuff. This is some horrific bootleg stuff that you've undoubtedly randomly bought from like Amazon or eBay or whatever. And then you get it, horrible quality. You wash it once, ink falls off. What a horrible experience. Rockabilia does none of that. They're the real deal, independently owned, and they got punk and hardcore kids working for them. So you want to support the scene by buying from them. Again, use the code PC100 words and visit rockabilia.com to buy your next band merch. All right? Now here's the rest of the show.
2: The deal is that, you know, I really think that unless you're doing something with your life that is in service to others, it's a vanity project. You know, like oh, sure. I feel like it's it's our responsibility to take our our energy and what we have available to us and use it to provide for other people because we already have it, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if we have comfort, if we have material stability, if we have full bellies, like, okay, we're good. So like, what are we doing for all the people who don't have those things? And like, my point is like, if you're not working towards those things, then I'm not sure what you're about because as long as like anybody on this planet is suffering, like what's the quote, you know, like the quote is like, until we are all free, none of us are free. Yep. You yeah. know, and I, I believe that some people, dude, I get it. Some people are going to be like, fuck this hippie shit. This guy is, is a socialist. This guy that is, is a, you know, like what it's unrealistic, but I really think that it is possible to, to, create change that creates a more just and loving society person by person. And I do believe it is possible to turn some of these crazy, awful things in the world around.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, I I, I do believe it's possible.
1: I agree wholeheartedly. I I think that when you start to peel away, I think a lot of that comes with, with ego, because a lot of people um, can't arrive to that point of being able to help other people um, you know, self selflessly because, uh, you know, their ego is attached to it where it's just like, Oh, this is gonna, you know, make me look good because I do this. Or like, you know, because I go to church on Sunday, I, you know, will be saved or whatever, like, you know, through all those things. But it's like, no, the actual selflessness of doing something, you know, sacrificing your time, sacrificing your money or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, it, it, it has to be devoid of ego. You're not doing it for yourself from that perspective. You are doing it like you said to, Make this world obviously a, a less callous place.
2: I mean, yes. And it, it, I'm going to say, all right. So, you know, look, no matter what someone believes, like if you're a religious person, if you're not a religious person, if you're one kind of religious person, or you're, if you're another kind of religious person, like it doesn't matter. The truth of the matter is, no matter what anybody believes, it's indisputably true that all of us on this planet come from the same thing, right? Like, I don't think anybody would dispute that. People would argue over, like, well, what is that thing? I call it God. I call it the universe, blah, 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 blah. Like, all that aside, our human interpretations of this experience aside, it is it is nonetheless obvious and, and sort of indisputable that whatever we all come from, it's the same thing for all of us. Right? Like, it's not like some people come from one God and other people come from another God. So, the problem is that if we all come from the same thing, the same source, if we're all sparks from the same flame, why is it that in some cases we are so far apart from one another? right? Like whether it's the way we see the world or the way we interact with each other or the way we interpret events or the way we use language or the way we express ourselves, like there's so many ways or the way we look, you know, there's so many ways in which we are flung apart from one another, despite the fact that we are all indisputably from the same thing. And so to me, the work boils down to like overcoming that distance that for whatever reason we've all forgotten that we're all from the same thing you know like if if a person looks at another person and sees someone who is drastically different than them in appearance and culture language and beliefs versus if they see like their mom you know they have like a different feeling in their heart sometimes about these two people if they haven't done a lot of thinking about these things and the fact of the matter is like your mom And the most alien-looking human being with the craziest beliefs you've ever experienced—like those two people—are from the same thing. Absolutely. And we, we 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 act like we're not. That's not what it is. And so it gets that. The reason I say all this is is what you were saying. You know, like what are we doing about ego? Like the ego is like saying, like, well, my way is, you know my way if if your way is right maybe my way is wrong and i don't like that idea you know and so that's where our egos start to like find reasons why the otherness of someone else is like is like wrong headed and should be more like you and that's that's bullshit
1: yeah obviously <laughs> no for sure for sure um so when you started to, you know, kind of uh, get out there in regards to, you know, you playing in bands, because Try Try was essentially your kind of first sort of touring band that was active and releasing records and stuff. Right. Or did I miss something?
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. And so, you know, with Tri, Fail Try, you I don't think you guys ever made it out to the West Coast, did you?
2: Nope. We yeah. did one. We did we did some regional stuff and then we had one tour uh, at the end of 1999. Got, got for about it. two and a half weeks, I think. Yeah,
1: got it. And so, as you started to experience, you know the, the the function of playing in a band and you know being a front person and like all of these these different um, you know titles that that uh, you start to put on yourself, um, you know, did you I guess enjoy tour? Did you enjoy the you know like booking shows and kind of being a, a part of all of that?
2: Um, I really like playing in a band, and I really like the experience of of putting the concept of the songs and the records together and like the idea of the band, I will say, I don't really enjoy touring. I don't, I mean, there's a lot of things about it that I don't like, but um, it's just not my, my happy place. You know, I love shows. um, But, and I think at the time I liked it enough that I would have done more of it. And I like playing shows now, like we're playing, you know, with zombie apocalypse, we play shows and we're playing some, you know, we're doing like a mini regional, you know, really quick weekend thing. And like, I'm excited about it, but I also like don't a hundred percent love some things about it, mostly the travel. Um, and yeah. So like, I don't know, there's parts of it that I love and there's parts of it that I wish weren't <laughs> necessary. Um, but that's, you
1: Know that's like anything, right? Yeah, it's a mix, it's a mixed bag, especially too. Where you don't, um, a lot of these things that you start to do are just a function of what it takes to play in a band. You're like, well, yes, of course, I need a tour, and you know, but sometimes people <laughs> that are not uh equipped and prepared for tour. Um, you know, do it a couple of times and then they're just like, oh my gosh, this is nothing what I bargained for. And then obviously they have to figure out different ways to express themselves and (laughs) not tour and all that sort of stuff. So, but you don't know that until you start to get out there and experience it.
2: Well, I mean, yeah. And I think the thing is that like, I like some of the, uh, you know, I like being on tour and I like playing shows in different towns and the experience of going different things. But what I don't like about it is that it is like you have to do it. Like, I don't want to have to do anything. This is art. I don't have to do anything. Like, I don't have to, like, I think part of the thing with touring is, like, if you want to be in a functioning band where you have to do certain things to make yourself attractive to a record label or and someone else that you need to help you advance as a band, right, like, as a as a brand and as, like, a commercial enterprise that, like, makes and moves money around and all these things. And like, I get it to advance and get bigger and bigger. There's a sort of, there's a capitalist structure in place and you have to like participate in that. It's like a train track and you have to ride the track and it involves certain stops and certain tasks and you have to do these things. I have zero interest in any of that stuff. Like that's why I would never be good Person personally, as someone who was in a full-time band doing that for a living is not interesting to me personally. Yep. I just, it's not, there's not enough there for me for my personal interests. Also, I find it like, you know, we've had these conversations lately in in zombie apocalypse and like, you know, not to, I don't know. I don't want to get into that. Um, No problem. But basically, you know, like, There was was a sort of conversation about, well, we have to do these things. And, you know, I was like, well, no, you know, all right, no, don't put this part in. But, you know, basically, I just don't like having to do anything for my artistic expression. No one's going to tell me what the the requirements are. If someone wants to subsidize my art in any way, that's awesome. If they don't want to subsidize my art and I can't do the things that I thought I wanted to do, that's fine too. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Like I said before, I don't feel entitled to have someone put out my records and and make it available to Like, I feel that's a huge, like honor that someone did that for me. Um, There's, there's a little bit of being in a touring band that's like being a trick monkey to me. And I don't like that. Like, I don't like the idea of like, all right, get out on stage and perform for us now. Go ahead, let me, you know, do your little show, show me your band, and then, like, back in the box you go, off to the next city. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad I personally don't have to do that because, for me, it would take all the joy out of the expression. It's much more special to me when it's just once in a while and it's not easy to pull it off and it's much more of a, a, you know, a, a, a happening than it is a performance if that makes sense mm-hmm. and i like to think of of like the way i play that way like when people come to see zombie apocalypse play or when they used to come see Tri-Tel tri try play every single time i grab a mic that's the way i look at it because i don't look at it as like oh i better put on a good show because there's a and r guys in the crowd like i don't think like that at all i never have it's not a part of my 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 mentality of like what is, i the band's that I loved, that was not in their zone. It wasn't even possible, you know, that like you could make a living doing this kind of music when I first got into this kind of music. I mean, very, very rarely, I guess, you know, like Agnostic Front was a, was doing it for a living. maybe sick of it all, but like, it was not like a thing. Like, I didn't know anyone who got into the hardcore scene. Like, man, I can't wait to be huge. <laughs> like, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, can't wait, wait to make a with, living. Like, 12 kids in the basement and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> yep. Right, right. So, um, yeah, man, touring's just not for me. I mean, I would do it if it was, I look, I'm also a grown up with a child and a house and all these things. So I can't like, I can't, and I have a job, you know, so I can't just like disappear and go on the road. So any of that stuff for me now is much more like, you know, it's gotta be paying and that's not going to happen for a guy like me and a band like mine. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I love being in the band, but I don't necessarily love all things to go with it.
1: Yeah. No, I totally I totally understand that. Um and so, you know, because there was never that that focus to, quote unquote, make it with the band and everything, you know, you uh, per, you pursued a path uh, down, you know, education and, you know, like you said, the your love for the written word and everything like that. Um, you know, it, it sounds like because you're an educator, you enjoyed school kind of for the most part.
2: Yeah, I like school.
1: Got it. Yep.
2: I didn't, I didn't necessarily like all the social experiences I had, but I liked the, I liked the job, you know, the job of being a student is very appealing to me.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, because like, did you always kind of focus on the, the sort of discipline that you have currently where you're a special education teacher? Has that been kind of the, the common through line or have you jumped around to, uh, I guess, different, um, teaching opportunities?
2: No, it, it was kind of a happy accident. I I did have a job in special education before I was like a full-on teacher. I worked with a pop- with a population of profoundly disabled adults um and that was sort of like this great disabusing experience where I had to deal with people that like I might be averse to looking at in public before I had this job, you know, like people with you know Uh, strange personal habits or people who are drooling or people who are making strange sounds or jumping up and down and things like that. And so uh, I had this great job uh, working with these folks and it sort of opened my eyes. I didn't really think I would go into special education. I, I went through and my intention when I decided to be a teacher was to be like a high school social studies teacher Um, I thought that would, you know, be most in line with like my interests and what I wanted to talk about and things like that. But I wound up getting a job in special education, having to get an emergency certification over the course of a few years, because it was just like a time where that was the job that was available in the district where I applied. And it was a way into the district. And my plan was like, well, it's hard to get a job here. I'll do it. And then, you know, if I don't like it, I'll, uh, I'll try to move to back to social studies. And that was like, you know, 18 years ago and I'm still doing it. Uh, And it's been, it's been a great lesson in sort of like seeing where the wind blows you because at no point in my life, even as a grown up, did I say, I want to be a teacher, of special education. You know, there was never that intention. It was just sort of like something that happened. I knew that I would go into education. And in fact, I thought I was going to teach like, you know, academically advanced high school kind of topics. I thought I would teach, you know, about American government, U.S. wars and things like that, economics. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, you look, if you decide what you're going to find before you go out looking, it's a huge disservice, right? So sometimes you just kind of have to see where you land. totally that's better
0: yeah you you
1: just gotta yeah you gotta you gotta follow the thing you know because sometimes you are are shocked at where it ends up like you you know people that have such a a specific vision of what they want to do and then they like pursue that and then they achieve that it's you know that's such a like a sort of needle in the haystack kind of scenario it's like well you just be be open to stuff you know right
2: and i think also that like there is a certain danger in attaching satisfaction to like certain goals. And like, I am a very goal oriented person, like focus driven. I've done many things that would be considered like, you know, a large goal to work towards, like writing a book is hard, right? Like it seems like that's like a big project, but at the same time, like if you attach your happiness goals all the time like you're never going to be happy because you're in this habit of attaching your happiness to something that is on the outside right so it could shift and it could change and so the question is like if you're always looking towards the next thing to define your happiness like what if there is no net like can you again back to being alone in a room like can you just be happy the way things are in the moment you're in right now you know, and not necessarily be so attached to like this idea you have about what you want and how it's going to make your life better. And so not attaching to that and just sort of allowing things to unfold sometimes can yield what I like to call happy accidents. And so, and I have to say like, I wouldn't change a thing. I, I, there have been times where I had doubts and misgivings and I, I, was pissed off about the money because, you know, teachers don't make a killing out here um, and things like that. But I'm lucky. I live in a neighborhood where I teach and I get to see my kids grow up, become grownups, have their own families. And it's like there's no amount of money that could ever replace the value of that in my heart. You know, I know for the rest of their lives, I will have been their teacher. They, They come across the street. And they're like, Mr. Kaufman, I just want you to know I'm a cop now or I just want you to know I just have my second child. or I want you to know that I'm going to be a teacher, you know, and it's like, wow, that's some real life Mr. Rogers shit. And I got it by just letting the wind, you know, push me in a certain direction and going with it. Yeah. What an amazing, what an amazing gift. You know,
1: yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's that's because it uh provided you the you know the, the sustenance from a uh you know deep uh you know heartfelt soul satisfaction that uh you know if you were too myopic and you just focused on other things, you never would have uncovered otherwise. So, yeah, I totally get what you're saying, yeah. Um, yeah kind of, and kind of on that same tip, the, the idea, cause I know that, you know, you have really, really thrown yourself into the, uh, you know, practice of yoga. And like you were talking about just, you know, kind of meditation and the process of, you know, being, you know, I, I hate to use the word mindful, but obviously that, that, that is what it is. Um, you know, it's just such a invoked word. word. Yeah. Great word. But <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, so many people feel, the approach of that very daunting, like you said, just being able to sit in a room by yourself, like most people can't even fathom that for, you know, longer than five minutes or whatever. Um, you know, I I know that that stemmed from you dealing with a lot of, you know, anxiety and and, and trauma that you had experienced, um, you know, with like the the fire to your home and everything like that. Um, how did you Mm -hmm. kind of like, I guess, start the practice? Because I think that's what many people struggle with of how to start the thing. So
2: I have the greatest easiest answer for this because you're right. Everyone's like, "How do I start?" How, you know, and the answer is, I use an app called Headspace, <laughs> and it's a very popular app, and like the, it's like the first app that comes up in the app store when you Google, you know, when you search for meditation. Um, it's an app, and what it does is, and I I'm not paid by the company that makes it, I but I am an advocate for the product because I do think it. Um, It's a great way to start. It makes it very easy to digest. They provide a structured way for people to start meditating that involves some cute animations that explain what it is you're trying to do and puts it into some very basic language. But I would say that beyond using Headspace, which is sort of like a great all-in-one way to start, and that's really my answer is like go get that app. Do the beginner packs? It explains everything way better than I could just repeat it in this interview. However, what I will say is that starting meditation—the the deal with meditation is people like don't know what it is they're trying to achieve, right? They're like they, they commonly think that it's the act of like like calming the mind or like you know quieting the mind, and that's true in a sense, but really. And this is the thing that Headspace won't tell you. Meditation is the act of training the, atomic, uh, the autonomic nervous system, your fight or flight reflex, and your vagus nerve into new resting states. It's a physiological training, just like going to the gym. Meditation is just like going to the gym. If you go to the gym, and this is a metaphor I give people all the time. Like, let's say you aren't in shape and you start going to the gym, you start lifting weights, and you don't care whether or not you build muscle, but you go anyway. Whether you want to build a muscle or not, you will build a muscle because you're taking your body, you're <clears throat> subjecting it to a, a condition, and the body provides a response. It's programmed to do this, right? It's why you build muscle when you go to the gym. Meditation is the same thing. It is an act that works with the physiology of the brain and repeated engaging of this act changes the brain. Just the same way going to the gym changes your muscle, the repetition of revisiting this this act of meditation changes your brain. And along with that, all sorts of other, other sort of like touch points in your physiology right? Because when your cortisol levels and your epinephrine levels and your, you know, um, serotonin levels shifts from one state to another, all of a sudden your entire body is now subjected to a new normal. And if that new normal is good, then that new normal will start showing up in other areas of your physical health, right? And your mental well-being, and all these things. So, it's not some mystical sit there with your eyes closed and make say Ohm and like connect to the universe. It's a, it's like training certain parts of your body that are on the inside that you can't see to take on new characteristics exactly the same way you would. If you go to the gym and lift weights to get the parts you can see to take on new characteristics. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, absolutely. No, I think that's a really, um, it's a really good distillation of the the practice because I do think that you know sometimes people vault it to the sort of metaphysical world and they're like, well, I I don't know if this is like based in what I can like feel and touch and but yeah, no, it makes total sense. I see what you're saying. Um, and,
2: and, and look, I mean, there's there's definitely like if you're a spiritual person, it'll make your it, it, it'll enhance whatever kind of spirituality you already believe you know have inside you. It's not this this is you remember you know i'm a learning specialist i'm interested in cognition metacognition cognitive process learning this is like what i do for a living so i approach it as like okay well we're manipulating the brain and trying to change the way it works right and there are some great touchy feely things to stop and enjoy along the way when you really get into cultivating a rich meditation practice without a doubt it changes the way that you interact with the world around you and that includes the people you love you know and people you don't know but you realize that you have love for them too so there is some you know hearts and rainbows you know mystery in there but but that's that's sort of like up to the practitioner you know that that kind of flows through the lens that they've already kind of arrived at the practice with beforehand
1: yep no it makes total sense um right the, uh, the, the last thing I want to hit on was, you know, clearly like what you mentioned earlier with uh, Zombie Apocalypse and, you know, the, the band is so interesting just because you, you know, exist in a world where, you know, you've probably collectively played like what, maybe 40 shows like or, or is that even less? Like Dude, a- I,
2: I think it's probably more like 25 25- Okay, I mean, maybe, maybe not even
1: 25. Right. Yeah. It it is interesting because there, you know, it's not like the band is incredibly prolific as far as releasing music. And, you know, like you said, from a show perspective, but there, there is this, you know, sort of underlying general interest in uh, the band and the, you know, expression, not only because of, you know, the music, but and the attachment to Shai Halud and all that other stuff. But I, I just find it, um, yeah I find it really, really interesting because not very few bands and music projects can kind of exist in the world that you guys do exist in, and like you were talking about earlier, none of this is owed to you, so like everything is gravy from the fact that you can exist as zombie apocalypse um but i you know I'm sure some of what I'm saying right now uh, obviously resonates with you where it's just like yeah, it's weird that anybody pays attention to this thing,
2: yeah, it is weird um I will say that. It, well, there's two things. Number one, it's totally different being a band in the age of social media. We did Zombie Apocalypse first when there was, like, it was MySpace, and now it's like, completely different. With Instagram and Spotify, it is just a totally different thing. And Facebook, too. Um, it's kind of like the DIY kid's dream come true, if you think about it. I mean, it's, it's totally bananas. I will say that I think the reason people care about Zombie Apocalypse is because there is like an enormous amount of substance in the band and it's done in a way that is unique insofar as there's not a lot of bands that like are kind of funny, you know, like, I'm not like, we're hilarious. We're not like funny. haha. But there's always been this like sort of, you know, like weird sense of humor in the band. Sure. Even like between like <laughs> lyrically with the samples. But the thing of it is, is that like, it's funny, but it's very, very serious. Like, we are a band that, that has some pretty ridiculous lyrics and, and some crazy imagery and, like, schlocky stuff going on. But I will tell you that, like, every single word of it is, like, extremely meaningful to me, at least. It, it, I, speaking for the stuff that I wrote, which is, like, 95%, 99% of the lyrics. Um, like, you know, I write from the heart. And I'm not sure most people get it, which is why we're such a like specific little niche kind of thing. And that's fine. I, I don't think we're trying to make it so that most people get it. I don't really you know think about that at all. But I think the thing is that like, I know that the people that, that care, care because of that, because I get messages from people who are like, dude, you know, I'm, I mean, if I told you, so I write a lot about depression I write, I write about anxiety, about um about you know positive spins on these challenges that people have and sort of like trying to stay bright and positive amidst like the apocalypse you know if you if you know like zombie apocalypse is this, like thrashy crazy band but like the songs are overwhelmingly like about triumph and even when it, it's not overt and so some of the messages i get from people Like, I know it's connecting because they're sending me messages about how, like, you know, they're going through this challenge in their life or they're going through that challenge in their life. And they are really thankful for the songs because it helps them, you know, kind of, like, boil down what they're going through and and sort of, like, take a beat and and gather some, some, you know, strength to take the next step. And, like, I mean, dude, I get choked up even saying this stuff to you because it's such an honor that, like, I am... (laughs) I have this platform for sharing my experience and hoping that in doing that through this poetry and these songs that someone else gets something that helps sustain them a little bit. Like the the, the fact that I get to do that is like, is overwhelmingly humbling, you know? So I think that's why people care is because they know we care. Dude, I'm getting really choked up talking about this. It, no. it's, it's, it's Yeah. I, I I take I take it really seriously. Like, it's um, it's a huge honor for anyone to spend time like on your art in the first place, and to give it a shot and to listen to what you have to say. But to like to come back and to reaffirm to me that like, like yes, this connects with me. Like, I don't think they understand. Like, they say I'm helping to hold them up, but like that's helping to hold me up. Yep. You know, and that's like that's where we are all. Like yes, I'm a teacher, but I believe that we are all teachers. You know, I believe everyone is a teacher. And so, you know, that's what I've learned from the people that care about zombie apocalypse is that like you know I I can put out to people uh like a coded message about about my personal experience. And they can come back and teach me that I'm not the only one,
1: if that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, I I think, you know, no, I think the people, especially when you are, you know, doing a creative effort you get so wrapped up in the creative efforts and the idea, especially, you know, from a band perspective where it's like, you know, how many people to show, how much merch do we sell? Like, you know, like once you kind of get into that game, it's, it is hard to stop and put that reminder that it's like, dude, if there's 10 people at this show, the fact that there are 10 people that have attached themselves to this particular piece of art. And like you said, find a deep meaning in it. Um, that's you, it, it. What? Like, that's unbelievable. And it, you right. you definitely, like you said, have to remind yourself that and press that pause button and realize, like, yes, that's a that's a privilege. This is not a right.
2: Yes, And I have to say, like, also, not for nothing, I'd be totally remiss if I didn't say this. Another reason people like Zombie Apocalypse is because of Matt Fox and Eric Dillon on this new record fucking i mean you know all i do is show up listen and write words and sing them along but those guys write the music or wrote the music for this last record and like people come back because it fucking it rips you know i don't know how many other bands sound like us too so there's not a lot i mean i don't know i i, I don't feel like that's really like a, a a bragging thing for me to say that it rips because like i'm not responsible for any of that right yeah, yeah you know what I mean? <laughs> you're a third party I,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> right i show up and i go like Holy shit. I get to write to that, you know, like, Oh my God, like amazing, you know, cause they're basically sending me songs that are almost done and saying, here's this one work on it, you know? So, um, you know, to Fox and to Dellen and, uh, and to the people in the past who were in the band who put their heart into it, like Matt Fletcher, uh, was like, you know, OG and, and, you know, the people that are playing with us now, Like, you know, those people also are the reason people come back because everyone is super into it. You know, like we get up there and we are, we're into it. We, we, it's a privilege. We don't get to do it that often. Like you're seeing a bunch of guys up there who are like, holy shit, we get to play. You know, it's, it's not like we're just at another stop on a tour and we hope it goes good. We're like, oh my God, we get to play,
1: you know? Yeah. This is Christmas morning.
2: Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, like, can you believe it? We're still doing this. It's nuts, you know? Totally, so, totally. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I think that's why people come back.
1: Yeah. No, no, that's incredible. That's incredible. Well, Ronan, we could obviously talk for another like seven hours, but, you know, we'll just have to start a separate podcast for this. But thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm, 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 I'm so glad that we got to do this. Dude, me too. It's, it's so gratifying to, to do this,
2: to be on this end of the conversation, too. It's like a thrill.
1: Boy, oh, boy, was Ronan just a, at- spark plug on that conversation. I was so excited that uh he was excited because <clears throat> then it kind of, you know, the perpetual enthusiasm machine just kind of circles around when, you know, you have people that are just ping-ponging off each other and it was great. So, thank you Ronan for coming on the show. And like I said, check out Zombie Apocalypse, new record out and uh they have a bunch of old material that is really really good as well. So, check do yourself a favor, check that band out. Next week I have an old friend on the show. Scott Lee, he is the proprietor of Soundrink, and then he also ran for many, many years the New England Metal and Hardcore Festival, is a manager of bands. He does. He is a renaissance man when it comes to the music industry and entrepreneurship, and I have always found him to be just an incredibly kind and warm and giving individual uh, that is always ready to share his thoughts, and I just I had to have him on. So that's what we got next week. Scott Lee, rad. Okay. Now, please have a good rest of the week, good day, whatever it is. And like I always tell you, please be safe, everybody.
0: Hey, Miles. Yes. It's Jack from work. Yes. Hi. Did you know that we host a daily news and culture podcast where people can go to get caught up on what is happening? Are you? Yes. Are you confused about that? You're talking about the daily zeitgeist. I just wanted to make sure you knew and that everybody knew that you could listen to us every day, twice a day talk about what is happening, and they could learn everything without feeling the life drain from their soul. Yeah, I think at The Daily Zeitgeist, we like to give people a balance of just enough news that they feel informed and just enough laughs that they're not overwhelmed and can have a decent day after listening. So guys, listen to The Daily Zeitgeist on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free.